Thank you so much, worship team. Praise God for bringing us closer to the throne of grace. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. And if this is your first week back in a little while and that sounds really intimidating to you, don't worry. It's not that hard to find. If you find Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, you turn back about the equivalent of 20 chapters, five small books, you will find the prophet Habakkuk. And we're in a series, Answers in Silence, Trusting God When You Don't Understand God. And this is part two of five in this series, so you haven't missed too much. I'll catch you up to speed really fast. And I even had a few people this week ask me, hey, David, you kept saying Habakkuk. I've pronounced it a different way my entire life. And I think it bothered a few of you out there, so I just want to set the record straight right now as you're turning to Habakkuk, and it might take a second to get there. I've heard people say Habakkuk and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is just way harder for me to say. So, so you're going to have to forgive me, but I'm just going to stick with Habakkuk. And if you ever have a little boy one day and you name him Habakkuk, I will respect that and I will, I will pronounce it that way. But otherwise, I'm just going to stick with Habakkuk in this series. <laughs> well, today, in Answers in Silence, in this book, we're going to talk about a concept in American culture that is not popular at all. As a matter of fact, I would go as far as to say that it's despised and it's incredibly annoying. It's this thing that even though it's not cool and people don't like it, it's actually a gift. It's actually a gift. Now, to back up for a second, in the book of Habakkuk, we saw last week that this this comes onto the scene right before the children of Israel are taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans. Okay, they are about ready to take the southern kingdom, Judah, with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're about ready to ship them off over to their country and just conquer the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk has experienced a very turbulent, very dark time in his country. They have gone from having really a pinnacle golden, golden age with King David and Solomon, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse as they've gotten king after king who have progressively taken them away from God and his word. Manasseh was a king who came on the scene. He like burned all the copies of scripture. He quit the whole facade of worshiping God on the Sabbath and every other false god every other day of the week. And he just said, no, we're going to persecute the prophets. So Habakkuk and others were, were, some of the prophets were even killed. So people were in mourning. They were scared. Then a ray of hope happened. Josiah, finally a good king, came onto the scene. And Josiah found a copy of God's word. He tore his clothes in sackcloth and repent, in ashes and repentance and said, we have to follow this. And for 31 years, there was a great revival that swept across the country. Great things were happening, mass repentance. And then at the age of 39, Josiah was killed by an Egyptian bowman. And it all went back to even worse the way it was before. King Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Habakkuk is in this period of his life where he's questioning God. He's asking God, why? Why? Why did this have to happen? Why did we finally have a good king? Things were turning around, and then he died, and it went right back into rebellious destruction. So when we met Habakkuk, he was asking God this, 
By faith, he was going to God. He was trying to trust God even when he didn't understand. He's wrestling in the silence. And he's saying, God, why are good things happening? Or why are bad things happening to good people? God answers him in verses 5 through 11. And God tells him, hey, I have an answer. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. They are going to bring judgment. And now Habakkuk's like, wait, God, why are good things going to happen to bad people? Because the Chaldeans are ruthless. They're this bitter, hasty nation. This shouldn't be happening. This doesn't make any sense at all. So we're going to pick it right up there in verse 12. But before I do that, I think I might have annoyed a few of you. A few of you might be like wondering, well, wait a minute, David. Where was this whole thing that you told us? that was an aspect of American culture that was horrible, but was still a gift. Did I annoy anybody by, by just making you wait for that? Did, did, you, did you catch that? Well, I intentionally wanted you to wait because that's the point, okay? Waiting is the aspect of American culture that is so hard, so annoying, so difficult to wait through. And that's what is going on right now with Habakkuk. He is in a period of waiting. God, what are you doing? And he's not hearing any answers back from God. And when I think of waiting, I don't know about you, but I think of sitting on I-85 going into Greenville and just waiting in traffic. <laughs> Isn't traffic the worst that you, when you have to wait in traffic? I mean, Atlanta traffic's bad. Chicago traffic's bad. God forbid, California traffic. You never want to go there and face that, that aspect of California. Traffic is the worst. I love driving, but I can't handle sitting bumper to bumper on a highway. I mean, I can listen to podcasts, listen to worship music, I can pray. I just love getting alone and thinking behind the wheel. But the second I have to wait behind the wheel, it's terrible. Waiting is a rough thing. It's a not fun thing. But the more you think about it, sometimes waiting is a good thing. It really is. I mean, I know we have a lot of coffee drinkers out here. I've talked to a lot of you, but I talked about coffee today with a few of you. And if you think of instant coffee or a fresh pour over, what do you think is better? <laughs> Not a question, right? And I don't want to step on any toes because I know I have some instant coffee drinkers out here, but as your pastor who loves you heart to heart, maybe you have a coffee problem if you're an instant coffee drinker, all right? Those little K-cups and those little plastic cylinders that have been packaged and in a factory and then on a semi-truck and then in the grocery store, it does not compete with fresh grinding those beans and roasting that coffee the quality way. And maybe, maybe it's a pour over, maybe it's a French press, I don't know what it is, but you can taste the difference. And it's a whole nother experience when you have quality coffee that takes time and preparation and effort. Just like sometimes in life, waiting for something makes it a whole lot sweeter and a whole lot better. So that's what we're talking about today. Trusting God even when you don't understand God. And the point today is waiting is a gift. Waiting is a gift that builds faith. So now that you've waited long enough, now let's go to verse 12 in Habakkuk chapter 1. Is everybody there in Habakkuk? Did I give you enough time to find Habakkuk? <laughs> All right, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. 
You who were of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like, a crawling, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. Now, he right here is talking about the Chaldeans. This is talking about Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So here you have it. Hopefully you know where we're at right now in this book. Habakkuk is perplexed. He doesn't understand what God is doing and why God is doing this. You've probably found yourself in that situation before, right? Am I right where you've been there and you've wondered, God, why are you being silent right now? And God, what on earth, how is this ever going to work? Haven't we all been there? This is the first point that you need to do. The first point that I see from this passage here. Trade what you don't know for what you do know. This is what Habakkuk is doing. In the midst of questioning God and seeking God as we eavesdrop into this, this bold prayer in between God and Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk is saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you are my God. You are my Lord. You have ordained it. You are the rock. So in the middle of why, 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 he's forcing himself to verbalize truth about God. You see that in there? Do you see that in the midst of the whole conversation? These questions are lingering. Habakkuk has nothing really cleared up to this point yet, but he knows, God, I have to trust you. This is who you are. I don't know all these other questions and all these, I have no answer for all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, but I'm going to focus on what I do know. And when we're in depression, when we're dealing with things, when we're wrestling through things, you can hear your mind go on and on and on, and you can just listen to things, but you have to actually speak truth. You have to go back to the Bible. You have to talk to God. And you have to remind yourself of the truth of who he is. See, a lot of people get this whole, this whole thing reversed. They, they shove away what they know to be true about God, and they just elevate the unknowns. I don't understand this, God. I don't know why you're doing this, God. And they elevate that, what they don't know, and they trade it out for what they do know to be true about God. Habakkuk is doing the opposite of that. He's saying, I do know that you are my rock. I do know that you are my Lord, my Holy One. So I don't know about this, but I know I can trust you. That's the first aspect of this that you see right here. And when we were talking about a very similar thing last week, when we started this whole series, we talked about how you have to focus on the gospel. You have to meditate on the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not being punished by God. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, that he is changing us. Behold, all things are becoming new to those. He, the old has passed away and the old, the, all things are becoming new to those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's something else, though, that happens to us when, we, when we're going through this type of thing. Look at verse 13. 
So Habakkuk is questioning God, but he's being real with God, and he's focusing on the truth of who God is. Look at verse 13, though. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Careful. Careful right here. Do you see what's going on right now? Habakkuk, he's, he's, he's doing a lot of good things. He's focusing on God, but what he's saying right here in verse 13 is a little dangerous. And this is something that has always plagued God's people, all the way back to Habakkuk, and I'm sure it happened before Habakkuk, and it still goes on today, where we want to start comparing ourselves, right? It goes down to a fundamental flaw in the way we look at righteousness. What does comparison do? When you start comparing yourself with someone else, like, oh, she's prettier than me, or oh, I'm, I'm, I'm stronger than him, or oh, I'm a better person than this leader. As soon as we start comparing, we're either going to have pride or we're going to have shame. It's one of those two things, pride or shame, when you compare. Habakkuk is doing a very, very dangerous thing because he's like, God, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, really, those people? They're not as good as us. I mean, we're bad. We're messed up. But those people are wicked. I mean, they're horrible. And they were horrible. But you cannot compare righteousness. That's a bad idea. It comes down to a misunderstanding of what righteousness is. Too many people think of righteousness as a scale. Righteousness is not a scale. It is a standing. The whole term is a judicial term. You're either declared righteous by a judge, God, or you are unrighteous. It is absolutely black and white. There is no gray in between. It's not a matter of, oh, I do some good and I do more good than bad, so my, my righteousness is outweighing my unrighteousness and I'm a righteous person. Or, yeah, I do more good things than that guy, so I'm more righteous than him. Whoa, wait, you're off. You're off. You were declared righteous by God. And the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Who is the only righteous person that ever lived in the face of the earth? I heard it. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who is righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, again, talks about this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? Do you see that we can't make ourselves righteous? It's impossible the only way we're ever going to be righteous is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed, that is given to us and declared upon us by God. And when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Habakkuk is getting a little off right here in verse 13 when he starts comparing himself. Because from God's perspective, what? Everyone's unrighteous, right? He, of course he's going to use an unrighteous person. He's got no one else to use. You see that one? Now let's keep going, verse 14. Uh, this is where he's talking about the Chaldeans. And this is what, this I'm sure what's going through his mind. Because the Chaldeans, they took this form. When they conquered a country and they took some people, they would actually do this brutal thing that the Assyrians did. If you look back in history, it started with the Assyrians. They would take a hook, they would just jam the hook through the nose of a person, and they would tie a string to it, Okay. And they would take their entire army that they conquered and they would string them up just like a huge giant fish line and they would parade them along and that was just the tip of the iceberg on how brutal the Chaldeans were. 
But Habakkuk has in his mind, okay, this is going to happen to my people. We're going to be just gathered up in this one big giant dragnet. We're going to be dehumanized. That does not sound appealing in any way. I'm hurting God, but here at the same time, he's holding on to what he knows to be true. And how do you know the difference? Like, this is really kind of a blurry yet fine line at the same time to question God and not cross the line. How do you know you're not crossing the line? Well, I would say it comes down to one key ingredient, and that is belief. Do you still have a heart that believes who God is? Okay? You can question God. You can pray and cry out to God, ask him. I mean, be real with him. But the opposite of faith is not doubt, right? Remember from last week? The opposite of faith is unbelief. If you have straight-up unbelief, you're, you're wrong. You need to change your course and start believing and trusting in who God is. But we can have doubts. It's really easy to say, if I was God, this would never happen. If I was God, this person would still be alive. If I was God, she wouldn't have a baby and I would. There's a lot of things that you can go through your mind that are really hard in those silent wrestling moments. I would have never been abused. Through all those things, you have to trust God even when you don't understand God. And in the, in the deepest, darkest part, you have to focus on the fact that God loves me. God sent Jesus into this world to die for me. I can have true life and joy and peace in relationship with God by his grace and his mercy that's extended to me. That's focusing on the gospel. That's how you get back to where you need to be. You trade what you don't know for what you do know. And that brings us to chapter 2. Chapter 2 in Habakkuk, verse 1. And I dare say, Habakkuk 2.1, you might not have this verse on a t-shirt or a coffee mug anywhere, but this is one of the most underrated verses in the Bible. When you're in a season of doubt and struggle and silence, this is what you have to turn to right here. Chapter 2, verse 1 is the remedy. It is the solution to get through that. Chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is point two. Station yourself to wait and listen. You have to embrace this. This is not easy to do, but so often people don't do this. They question God, and they move on. They drift away, or they get angry, or they think they're being punished. Or we keep focusing on all the negative unknowns. You have to say, I'm going to plant myself right here, God. I'm going to station myself on this tower. I'm not going to go anywhere until you reveal to me what you're doing. Station yourself to wait and listen. I told you Habakkuk's doing some good things, right? This is another good thing Habakkuk's doing. So maybe you do want to name your little boy Habakkuk. I don't know. <laughs> change the whole dynamic of this series and have me change my pronunciation. But no, Habakkuk is waiting. He's listening. He's in a prayerful relationship with God. It's kind of like the idea of the Alamo, right? Like when some translations will say a rampart, he puts himself up on this watchtower, the watch post. 
you think of this old wooden fort like the Alamo and you got the little like silo thing up there and there's a guy up there with a gun who can like look out and see where, where things are at. That's the idea of the watchtower that Habakkuk is planting himself and stationing himself on. You can tell God, I don't get it, but you're a rock, you're with me, you love me, and I'm going to wait for an answer right here. This is the same thing we see in Psalm 130, Psalm 130, verse 5. I, were, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. We find the answers we need when we wait. Have you ever stopped to consider what life would be like if you got everything you wanted the minute you wanted it? <laughs> it's like my kids, right? Like, they want junk food all the time. They would live off of sugar if I let them live off of sugar. They really would. So I, I, have to, I have to tell them, no, you can't get that. You need to wait to get dessert before you actually need to eat some, some vegetables and eat some fruit. I mean, we said this probably 20 times last night. No, I'm daddy, I'm hungry. I want a popsicle. No, okay, well, eat an apple. Eat a banana. Have some leftover broccoli. And then, after you waited for it forever, we're going to give you that popsicle. We have, to say, we have to say to God, I want this right now, but I know you're not giving it to me right now, so why are you making me wait, and I'm going to wait until it's the right timing. It's actually the mercy of God that he doesn't give us everything we want in the exact moment that we do want it. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers, and like a year later, you're like, wow, God, thank you for not answering that one? <laughs> like... What was I thinking? I didn't want to spend the rest of my life with that girl. <laughs> I waited and I found Julie. It's so much better. No, there's a lot of prayers that we can pray that if we don't get the answer, we have to wait. God knows better than we do what we need. He really does. He knows better than you and I what we really need. And you can trust him. And this is another thing to focus on because you're thinking, well, David, you know, that's nice, but it's still really hard to wait. It's really, really hard to wait. God has a purpose in the silence. He's not going to waste your waiting. And here's the thing that you really need to understand. God doesn't want to just remove the problem from your life. That's not the goal, okay? The goal is to you, for you to get through the trial and for God to change you in that season of waiting. We talked about this in Life Group on Tuesday night in my Life Group. God doesn't want to just deliver you and just get the problem out of the way. He wants to change you. And the way he changes us is making us wait. And we have to sit there and we have to listen. We have to station ourselves on that watchtower. He's preparing for you not just to receive something. He's preparing you to become someone different. Turn to Romans 8 really quick. And Actually, I have, I have it up here on the screen too if you don't want to turn to it. But in Romans 8, this is a very well-known verse. This verse is way more well-known than Habakkuk 2.1, but they're, say, they're getting to the same thing, okay? Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. Great verse. Wonderful truth in this verse. If you love God and you know God, he is working all things out for your good. And what we misunderstand sometimes about this verse is that the good in Romans 8.28 is actually not always what we think of as good, right? Sometimes what we think of as good is not God's idea of good at all. 
Romans 8.29 actually gives us the definition of what good is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, can you say this word out loud with me? Conformed. That was pretty weak. Let's say it again. Conformed to the image of God. That's the good that God is working out for you in your season of struggle. In the waiting, he wants to conform you to be more like Jesus Christ. And that happens when we wait. So get on the watch post. Waiting is a gift that builds your faith. Don't dare keep the shell of you that God just needs to take the problem away. No, God needs to change you. And that's what's going on here with Habakkuk. So now we're in verse 2, and this is our third point. Point number three is remember your pain will help others. Remember your pain will help others. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Now that one, it's kind of a tough translation in the English, is what he is saying here, what God is saying. God is like, not just giving him the answer immediately. He's still making him wait for this answer a little bit. He's preparing it. This is the setup verse right here, two and three. But God is saying, all right, I'm going to answer you. You're going to be blown away with this answer. You're going to be wonder and astounded at this answer coming up. But listen, I need you, first of all, to grab a pen and write this down. Although in Habakkuk's case, it's more like get a tablet and write it down. So that's going to require like a hammer and a chisel. Okay, make it so plain, so clear, so obvious that a person running by can read it and understand it. This is a nugget here that your pain that you're going through right now in this season can actually help other people down the road. If you make it through this, you can remember this. I almost called this point journaling your pain. And we have some journalers. We have some people who write a lot. I love that. I'm not one, but I love that people do that. Um, but I, I just wanted to say, remember your pain, because I know we're not all journaling, and I'm not going to force you to do something that's not clearly in the Bible, okay? But remember your pain, because it can help other people. This is the same as Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that people yet to be created may praise the Lord. God knows the struggle that Habakkuk is in right now. And hey, if you've been waiting, if you don't know what's going on, I know this doesn't help a lot, but there's a glimmer of hope here too. And it's what you are going through right now, someone else is going to go through. Someone, you're not the only one. Habakkuk wasn't the first person to struggle and to wait. He wasn't the last person. You're not the first person to struggle and wait, and you won't be the last person either. You can use that to help someone else. Isn't that the mind of Christ? Considering others more significant than yourself? Thinking about God's putting me through this? Maybe someone else is going to have a miscarriage down the road and go through that agony. I can help them. Maybe someone else is going to lose a loved one, lose a job, not know where to get money to pay off my debt and pay my bills. There's been many seasons in my life where I have waited and waited and waited and I've been hurt, and I don't know why God is doing what he's doing. I know, I know those feelings of going into work and a job you hate, and everybody around you is cursing and profaning God's name, and it's just an ugly atmosphere. People are angry all the time because they're bitter at their lives. It's not a fun place to be. 
That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go out of seminary and get a youth pastor job and just walk right into that cush position and just everything fall into place. It didn't happen that way for me. But I'm glad, I, I'm glad it didn't because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't have to learn all those things the hard way. And that's not, I'm not trying to say, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say I've arrived and I figured it all out. There's a lot more things that God needs to change in my life. Just like there's more things that he needs to change in your life. We need to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. It's a daily, daily process. So remember your pain will help others. Not focusing on yourself, but thinking about others. This one, isn't, this one isn't the easiest one to think about. This one isn't the ultimate solution. It's just the lead up. The next one is even more helpful. This is point four, and this is where we see it in verse three. Trust the surety of God's perfect timing. Trust the surety of God's perfect timing. So look at verse three. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing. Remember, we talked about this a little bit already. He knows what you need before you even know what you need. When you think you need something else, God's timing is perfect. God knows you need to go through this thing first to change first before you actually get what you're thinking you need. Trust the surety of God's appointed timing. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. As sure as the sun is going to rise. God's timing is perfect. And he God is setting this up here, and he's, he's contrasting some stuff. But the interesting thing about this verse is this verse is quoted in the New Testament a few times. And if you really don't know why you're, why you're waiting, why your faith needs to be built on a certain thing, um, there's something really cool that you can see in Scripture. There's an immediate, an immediate application right here that God is speaking to Habakkuk and he's speaking to us, patiently wait, you know, trust God's sovereignty and his timing. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, not only do you have like an immediate application, an immediate context, but you have like this ultimate meaning. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, you can turn to Hebrews 10 with me, like actually turn to this one because I don't have a slide for it. But in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews quotes this verse. And there's something amazing about this verse that comes into play in Hebrews 10. So we'll start in verse 32 in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 32. I hear a few pages turning, so I'll give you a second to get there. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hebrews 10, 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. He's quoting Habakkuk 2, 3 right there. But do you see a difference between Habakkuk 2, 3 
in Hebrews 10, 37? Instead of, instead of it in Habakkuk 2, Hebrews 10 says he. Okay, the author of Hebrews has actually given us the ultimate meaning of this verse. It's beyond just the immediate here and now of waiting, and there's this deeper meaning. And this happens all, to, all throughout the Old Testament. You have types and shadows of Jesus Christ. And we can't just make these up on the fly whenever we want to. You have to see them quoted in the New Testament. But here it is. The he is coming is not just the answer to your problem and to your waiting. It's actually Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. That's what Hebrews 10 is telling us. Jesus Christ is coming. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And he will actually come again to this earth. And he will bring us home with him. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. There's so much to look forward to with that. Now, I just quoted Hebrews 2, 3. We read that. Um, and it was replaced with he. It's Jesus Christ. And if you want another one of these same type of like images of Jesus Christ, go read. This is some homework. Just go read 2 Peter chapter 3. Because 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about this same idea where there's, there's people who are waiting and waiting and waiting and they don't know when, where Jesus is and they get tired of waiting. And then there's scoffers who basically make fun of you and say, hey, you've been waiting for 2,000 years for Jesus to come again. He's not coming back. And you know, of course, I want to say this to the Mr. Skeptical person, but you're like, well, thank you for fulfilling prophecy because Peter 2,000 years ago had you pegged and said you were going to be scoffing and making this a joke, but Jesus is coming again. I believe it. I know it's true. It's happening. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 says that God is waiting to send Jesus so that more may come to repentance. He wants to save more people, call out more people, have more people in heaven for eternity. So that's, that's point four. And I don't know if any of you peeked ahead to Hebrews 10 verse 38. Hopefully you didn't peek ahead. Hopefully you waited for it. Remember, good things come to those who wait. But Hebrews 10, 38 is actually Hebrews, excuse me, is Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And here's, for, here's our last point in Habakkuk 2, 4. Point 5, and it's our final point. Humbly choose to live by faith. This is where it gets really good. This is where God is ready to drop the bombshell on this answer. There's been a lot of lead up to this. And now verse 4, look at it with me. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is where we're going to end today. And yeah, we're going to end on another cliffhanger. Welcome to, welcome to the Minor Prophets. <laughs> you like want me to preach more series on, on the Minor Prophets, don't you? But in Habakkuk 2.4, God is contrasting the prideful, bitter, hasty nation of the Chaldeans with his people. He's making a contrast here. There's people who are puffed up. They feel like they've got it all figured out. They've got it all made. It's my way. I've done it. Remember, they're sacrificing to their net. They're worshiping their net. Their own might is their God, if you remember, from verse like 9 or 10 of chapter 1. They are all about themselves. But God says to Habakkuk, look, the righteous will live by faith. 
And if you think, well, yeah, the Babylonians, I mean, those barbaric ancient people, that's, that's so far removed from where I'm at. You know where we see this in our lives? We see this from the same thinking that goes along the lines of, oh, just believe in yourself. Love yourself more. Trust it. You got it. You can do it. Do you realize you will never read in the Bible to love yourself more? It's not in there. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we already do love ourselves. And we need to love God. That's what we see in Scripture. The answer isn't to dig from within and pull out something good inside of us. That's not where the answer is. There is no good thing inside of us. The answer isn't inside of us. The answer is outside of us. The answer is Jesus Christ, all right? If you think, I got it, I can just work harder, I can do better, I can be a better person, I can love myself, you're missing it. You're missing it. It is so prideful to think that you can make yourself righteous, that you can figure it out, that you can solve the problems. It's the same line of thinking that the Babylonians had. It's just a nicer, more polished 21st century view of the same thing. People in our country worship their intellect, they worship their beauty, they worship their standing, their prestige, their money, their power. They worship all these things. The righteous will live by faith. If you want to get on the watchtower today and you want to trust God even when you don't understand God, and you want to say, God, I'm waiting for you, I need an answer for you, but I believe that you are my rock, you are my shield, you are my deliverer, would you stand up right now? We're going to sing a song, Yes, I Will. And I want every one of us to say, yes, I will, in the waiting, trust God. The righteous will live by faith. Let's sing that together.
All right, we're going to sing that again in a second. We're not done yet. It's so good. We're going to come back to it. But I want to say this, too. Hebrews 10 wasn't the only time Habakkuk 2.4 was quoted in the New Testament. You may know this. I know some of you theology buffs out there probably do know this. But it's also quoted in Romans. And I want to read you Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you know that Martin Luther read this verse? Romans 1, verse 17, the quote from Habakkuk, and that is what shook him. He couldn't get that out of his mind. He was a Catholic monk in the Dark Ages. We're talking about the 1500s, all right? The word of God that Martin Luther was reading from was chained to, like, the pulpit. The common people didn't even have a copy of the Bible. And this Catholic monk realized right then and there, wait a minute, I can't be righteous on my own. I'm never going to do that. It comes by faith. And that was the start of the Reformation. All right? If you don't know Jesus Christ today and you're struggling, for all of us who know Jesus, we need to stand on that tower. We need to wait. We need to say, God, I'm here until you tell me what and when to move. But for those of us who don't know Jesus, and maybe there's someone in here who has never given their life over to Christ, you've never repented and believed in the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. So as we sing this song today, I would love for you to just to walk back. There's people back there that can open up the Bible. We can read Romans. We can read anything. We can talk through what you're struggling with. If you're in a moment where you just need, you, you need help getting on that watchtower, you believe God, you have faith, but there's a lot of doubt, and you need to talk to someone, you can do that too. Just step back, and we have people to pray with you right now. Let's sing it again as we close. Amen. Church, let's sing it to him this morning. I count on one thing. I count on one.